Hey everyone, welcome to episode 7 of the Truval Podcast. I'm Sam, and as always, I'm here with John. If you're listening to us, we're now available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify for you to listen to us everywhere. And we also put every episode up on YouTube for you to check out as well. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about practical advice if you feel like you're trapped in a project and you can't do your best work. So make sure to tune in. Last week, we spoke about the criticality of knowing the why, and we started touching upon you finding yourself in a situation where there's some problem with the project you're on, some project pathology of some sort, and what should you do? We started getting into a little bit of advice, but we didn't actually get all the way there. And I think this week, we're going to uh, get into giving a little bit more advice from the perspective of someone who finds himself in that situation along the dimensions of what you could do within the project, what you could do working on yourself, and maybe at some point, whether or not you may need to make some other uh, decisions, I guess. So uh, maybe your first instinct when you have uh, um, uh, a situation where nothing makes sense within the project and everything's very, very frustrating, uh, at least I've had these moments where you just want to go all Walter Sopcich and, you know, ask, does anyone around here give a, you know, care about the rules? And, uh, and that, that can be very cathartic. Uh, but at the end of the day, you want to uh, hone the, the energy into something more productive. So, Sam, I'll kick it over to you. Uh, just as an initial matter, what's your, what's the first thing to do when you notice that uh, you have your project suffering from solution monomania or some other pathology? Yeah, before I even say what to do, I'd like to acknowledge that having awareness and being confident that you're identifying the situation correctly is always step one. Because this episode about what do you do is, I want to start by acknowledging it's hard. It's hard to know what to do, especially when you're in a position where you're being given instructions and you don't feel like you have a lot of control. But the first step is to be aware and really take the time to cultivate that awareness and identify in the situation, what is crazy and what is not crazy? Or simple things like, am I working with a given objective? Has the objective been clearly articulated to me? Do I understand the problem? What am I trying to solve at a, at a deeper level? Some of the things we discussed when we talk about you know, the why, do you know the why? And are you aware that you're working without it? I think that's the first part. And like Jonathan said, whether you're talking about personal or action oriented, the first action is always introspection, I and, believe. And, you know, I generally, if Sam and I are giving advice, we're also coming from a place of mindfulness and other disciplines beyond uh, business. And I would say many problems resolve themselves just from you being able to be an observer to the problem at first and actually being able to understand it, see it, see your place in it and, and taking that breath. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll add, you, you, you should congratulate yourself if you see, if, if you're able to observe the problem, like that's the first step, that, that is, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Sometimes it's, it feels very uh, frustrating and, and that's all you feel. But I, I just want to echo Sam what you said. I, I hadn't thought of that. And uh, in the past and that definitely added to my thinking just now. Yeah, and like, like you just said too about the personal stuff, I'm gonna be very frank that a lot of it is not even separating personal best practice, spiritual best practice, mindfulness best practice, business best practice. It's all just process best practice. And you'll hear me as you get to know me 
talk about, uh, you know, I think of it all as sort of the fundamentals of how does the process execute itself optimally. So in the sense of being able to reflect on what is going on in the moment, it's very easy. Everyone, I think, would, would say, I know when a project is bad. And you've been in those situations where everything's failing, it's red, it's on fire, you're over cost, you're over schedule. But the awareness we're talking about, and it actually makes it much easier if you catch it earlier, is earlier on. Because this, this awareness of is the project off rails or disconnected from its problem or its why or its you know, purpose early on, you can catch that as early as day one. You know, it's, it's very easy to say, oh, throw your hands up when everything is on fire and the ship is halfway underwater and say, oh, yeah, I know there's a problem here. And now, you know, what do I do? It's really taking that breath and creating space is what I like to refer to it as. So it's something that it's a it's a practice. But what you can do, especially in the workplace, is always be checking in with those fundamentals, always be taking the time and the space to say, is what I'm doing connected to something productive? Is the activity I'm doing today fundamentally connected to something value adding? I think that's such a important question to ask yourself constantly uh, when you're when you're valid, like validating what you're doing at work or at home. I mean, really, really at all. And that, uh, you know, I'm going to keep echoing the, the idea of the, the pause because projects that are suffering always have are, are always in one of two states of extreme. Either there's tons of frenetic activity because people just turn up the level of activity as some way to offset the lack of execution or lack of understanding even where it's going, uh, or it's very lethargic and very little's happening. The project just kind of just goes on forever and no one's really uh, paying attention. So your pause in understanding all the dynamics of why you see a problem or what, you know, how it's particularly applying in, in, in that case uh, is, is very helpful in and of itself, even beyond just immediately seeing, oh, there's a problem. We don't know the why. Let me just ask right away. What's the why of the project? And, you know, until I get an answer, et cetera, like you, that pause and really understanding how it's all playing out is going to make your opportunity to come forward with the problems you're seeing that much more rich and that much more credible yeah and to pause and to pause i mean we we all i've seen it in you know i'm when i work on contracts when i work on projects one could think oh yeah it sounds easy enough to have a time to pause but when you're actually working 10 hour days and the activity has become frenetic you know it's not as easy as you might think i think creating space at work is actually quite challenging for a lot of people if they don't have sort of this at the forefront, which is, you know, we're talking about practical advice and this is very, very step one. But it, it's kind of the idea that the more you're act, doing activity, the less time you have to process, the less time you have to think about other things besides, okay, I'm finally done and just throwing in the towel at the end of the day and taking a break, watching TV, decompressing. That's also not creating space to decompress and focus on the topics we're talking about. As a rule of thumb, I would say it's, it should be kind of a red flag if you're starting to work six, eight, 10, 12 hour days, and you're starting to have so much activity that you don't have time to think about the activity or qualify it or really sort of ruminate on what the purpose is or how it fits into the bigger picture. You already should think to yourself, okay, I've really got to carve out some time and space to think about it then, because that's the most critical. And that's always the counterintuitive part. When you're so busy, and so overwhelmed with activity that you don't have time to reflect on it, that's the time where you really then have to consciously sit and create that space to think about it and think about that pause about, is all this activity necessary? Is it 
is it valuable and what can I do about it if not? Like start to organize, start to label, start to separate in your mind the different components. And, and people always like, this is the same reason people don't take vacations because it's there's too much to do. They can't possibly uh, you know, step away. I think everybody always finds out that when they do step away, the world kept turning. You know, like it wasn't the, the whole world wasn't dependent upon you in order to, to, you know, to keep turning other people find a way there's a ton of good material out there about when you focus on yourself and focus on um, uh, on doing the things that you think make the most sense as opposed to the things you think you should be doing or things you think you're going to be judged by based on a lot of good things open up. And then this is a great example. And especially we've covered in, in, in these podcasts, how much waste is all out there. So there's a good chance that whatever's going on is probably not going to result in much anyway. Now, that sounds very defeatist, but it should just give you some perspective that, that it, it, the world again will turn if you step away for a second and, and think. And I actually, it was funny you said that because I was just about to say that as my next point, which is, you know, it's a very famous Six Sigma statistic and very well studied and established that only about 5% of activity in an organization at a given time is truly value producing activity. And the rest of it, which is, which is a stunning statistic, like 90% plus activity, and some of it you can't avoid, but most of it is going to be wasteful or activity that could be interrogated. And you can, a lot of people, I, I, I say this when I train or when I speak and they get it and they're like, yeah, that makes sense. 95% of activity. Yeah, that, that actually, I could see that. It's kind of shocking, but I could see it. But then to relate it to the fact that it's you, you and all your colleagues are the ones doing that activity. And that means it extends to you personally at any given point, like Jonathan said, up to probably 95% of your activity in a corporate setting is going to be wasteful activity. So if you think to yourself, you always kind of have that as a, as a place where like, I need to be interrogating because the reality is no one in a large organization could possibly be working 40 or 50 hours a week of productive behavior. And especially if you're going beyond that, you definitely need to be interrogating yourself constantly about, okay, like scientifically speaking, most of this has to be waste. And the more hours I put in, I'm just amplifying increasingly significant wasteful behavior. And it's really for you to not just blindly continue to contribute. This comes back to our always our common theme of do no harm or try to avoid wasteful activity. The more you're ramping up your hours, you're working hard, but you're not working smart. And that's that other, that sort of, that's like a very pithy, you know, kind of thing that people say, but it is very true. You should always be looking to work smart and knowing that you can at any given time cut out 80, 90% of the activity you're doing, not only will the world go on, but the world might be better off because they're not, they're not paying you for all that activity. And, and frankly, you know, if you if you podcast and you know that there's all, and we're starting to explain the dimensions of of the waste, then it really is, you know, it, it's on you to to know where you're fitting into that and and understand the activity that's that's going on around you, so that you can contribute the the most effectively and and that everybody has the most chance of 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 adding value. Just as a quick refresher. It's always either you're, you're noticing a problem in how a problem is being solved or being implemented or, or just the, the, the project structure, et cetera, or the context, you know? So like the context is, is for example, if the entity is trying to do something that it's not capable of doing, no matter how well you structure the project, you know, there are just too many, well, I shouldn't, no, no matter what you think you're covering in the project, that it's unlikely to, to succeed. So I just, you know, start starting to pull back some of the, um, uh, the, the, the ideas that we brought up in the past. Yeah. And, and it's that constant questioning of all those dimensions and more it's the, 
you know, and in some ways I'm reflecting as I'm trying to give the advice because we know it's hard to stand up and say, question everything your boss tells you to do. But I think there's ways, so we'll talk about first, you have to accept that that's sort of the nature of doing good work, in our opinion, which is you have to question it. Because if part of your job, if we told you in any role you take from here on out, part of your job is always to triage and qualify that any assignment that you could possibly take on is actually value adding to the organization before you take it on. That's kind of what we're saying in a way. And people don't think about work that way, but that is a responsibility that if you take on, you're guaranteed to be more successful and add more value to the company. Now, if you start with that lens, that doesn't mean every time your boss tells you to do something, you say, not going to do that. It's stupid. There's a translation there that has to happen where then we'll get into how do you communicate this? How do you start to package your understanding and awareness of some things might be uh, better to do and some things wouldn't be better to do? And then start managing up and managing the project responsibilities and managing the people around you to bring, to bring attention to those spaces so that people can all get behind you. Because if you're just being whipped into a frenzy and every time you're at your desk pondering and your boss is like behind your shoulder saying, you look like you're not working, get back to work. Like if you're kind of in that mentality, it is a very stressful situation. So there's a lot of different shades of this. And that, and Sam's hitting upon like the second piece of advice. So that there's the awareness, but then lead by example, you work the right way, you engage in the right way. And, and, and by that, by doing that, you enable other people to, to do the same. I, I think that, you know, just I, Sam, you started, I don't know if you, if you want to go straight into the, um, you know, how you communicate the problem or how you engage in your boss, boss. but I'll start with just a piece of advice that I know I always look at it from how can something succeed? What is a path that can make all this activity make sense? What's a path for, for, for value to be added from this? Not looking at it from all the ways that something's going to fail, all the ways that something is a problem. So I think just having that orientation gets you at the gets you engaged with people or has, has makes it worthwhile for people to engage with you because we certainly aren't suggesting that you just walk around saying that's a problem that's a problem that's a problem you know like that's that's not very effective and it's not very uh helpful to anybody you're not going to teach anybody anything um so you, you want to show that your bias to action we used that phrase last time and uh, we always say we don't like that phrase as a general <laughs> idea because it's almost like an instinct to just start doing frenetic activity but your bias for action is to add value you know it's, it's value added value adding action and adding value adding value can be in considering interrogating questioning commands to make sure you understand it you know one practical a tip that I would give, and I, I combat this even now in my consulting work, because I, I guarantee even at my level of, of, of I guess, self-assessed maturity or competency, you know, I still run into situations constantly. We're at very high levels in organizations. You're given things and assignments and uh, objectives that are untethered, uh, generally not really well-structured or at the worst case, completely nonsensical because somebody is just being whipped into a frenzy or under pressure to make you work on something or get something out the door. And it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm in these engagements constantly saying, no, I'm refusing to do the work. But the first step is asking questions. People are so resistant or hesitant to ask questions. Do not take on assignments that you have to be honest about whether you understand them or not. I see so many people where I'm sitting at a table and one person is giving an assignment to another person. The person who's giving the assignment clearly doesn't understand it all the way. And the person who's receiving the assignment definitely has no chance of understanding it. But then they say, yes, I will go do that. And then they go off and then they 
do something, which can't possibly be what they were assigned to do because the instructions were just so poor or, or unsubstantiated that they can't do anything. All you have to do there is it feels overwhelming if you take it back to your desk and start saying like, I have no idea what I'm doing. That's when things get hairy, but in the moment, ask questions, be very inquisitive. I think a lot, it goes a long way to say, if you're just genuinely asking questions to understand things, I've rarely seen, even in the most toxic work environments that be you know, completely dismissed. You know, It's always your right to say, well, can you explain a little bit more about how this needs to be done? The parameters, the measures of success. I mean, basic questions, like get used to asking them all the and, time. And I would say this is the general advice I would give in what, what Sam's saying, in any interaction, this could be with a customer, it could be with anyone. It's not just someone who's, who's giving you work. Because most of the time when people are communicating, it's like trying to communicate a song that you have in your head. There's so much going on there, especially when there's frenetic activity, that the amount you're actually communicating is so much less than you realize. And when somebody stops you with asking some questions, A, it's showing that they're engaged. So, you know, th that's helpful. B, it slows you down a little bit so that you can actually convey even more information and more, you know, rich detail. Um, and C, uh, helps manage the expectations because you're either going to act like you get it or whatever it is that, that's motivating you just to, you know, take the information uh, and, and move on. And you can act like it now and then suffer later when whatever you deliver is either, you know, you think is fast, but the customer or your boss thinks it's slow or, you know, whatever those unspoken expectations, uh, you know, are there because you didn't ask the questions. It's going to come out at the beginning or it's going to come out at the end in much worse form, uh, fashion. Always going. Yeah, it's always going to come back to bite you if you don't. Every interaction. I like that. What Jonathan's saying It's it's all interactions with any projects. If you're an operating person at home in your family life. Like, you know, it's if people are not stating expectations clearly and you're setting yourself up to fail by trying to meet them when you don't know what they are. High levels of transparency, high levels of honesty. I would even say in my life, radical honesty and radical transparency. The more you practice it, the more you just get abundance, right? All the good things come to you because the more you can ask the questions and clarify, the better off you're going to be and you'll never avoid it. And I think that, you know, that last point, I just want to repeat it again, which is that that Jonathan is making it's going to bite you. you. You can't avoid having to uncover the details to do a thing if you've kind of agreed formally or informally to do it. How could you possibly be successful? Your chance of guessing it is so small compared to just taking the time to say, I don't know. I think a lot of people, the problem here is that people are very, it's another, it's another systemic cultural thing that asking questions makes you look weak or somehow makes you look like you're not intelligent, that you didn't understand what the person said. I think we need to really turn that narrative around and say that asking questions, being intellectually curious, being thorough, being engaged, that's a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. You know, I, I, I never get looked down upon when I stop meeting, I'll stop meetings and say, hey, that point you just made, I didn't understand that word you said. I didn't understand that reference. I don't understand that acronym. You know, you may feel very hesitant to stop a meeting and raise your hand and say, like, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that thing you said. But you know what? Nobody it, it's sign. It's a sign of confidence. It really is. And you've got to think about it that way and practice and cultivate that. Now, now the, the real challenging part about, you know, us saying you should ask questions is most of the advice out there is about how to make a good business case, change management to make a project continue or go through like it's, it's all oriented, a lot of it's oriented toward moving something forward. 
and and a lot of our you know a lot of our points are that a lot of things should never move forward or should be stopped you know so the the if if you're if you're really uh, aware of what's going on it's likely that you're going to find yourself in situations where your questions are getting at the heart of why are we doing this or does you know or this doesn't logically make any sense so you know just to be fair that does make this a lot harder you know so we're giving you know general advice about communicating with people etc but I, you know we, we do understand that the underlying nature of the questions we're we're saying is is more should not how you know which is again back to you know people not liking analysis so much uh, etc you know in favor of let's just do activity um, but uh, if you're listening to the podcast, we're assuming that you're part of the the group that uh, uh, sees all this waste and and is, is you know the, the Walter Sopcich again. You know, like, does anyone care about the, the rules or what's going on here? Um, so I say, I just wanted to take that step speak, back. Speaking of, speaking of questions and asking, uh, who is Walter Sopcich? I don't know. Oh, this person. maybe I'm aging myself. But maybe uh, big, big Lebowski. The, the Big Lebowski. Oh, he was okay. the, dude, the dude's friend. You know when. Uh, you know, uh, Smokey went over the line. Uh, Got it. Okay. And, and it, it's a Lee game. So I know, I know the movie, but it's funny. The name didn't connect with me at all. So, okay, good. Now, now I have some references. See, and that was an instance too, where I'm in the public space and I could definitely appear uneducated or dumb, but I'm just going to pause and I'm going to ask. Yeah. I should have said it's some, some major business scientist, of course, you know, the, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great analogy, you know, that I'm thinking about it because like then he, then when Walter says uh, it's a league game, um, I, what, what I hear in terms of from, from projects is, this is real money we're playing with folks. This isn't monopoly money. So this is, this is for real. You know, we actually are spending money on all this activity that, that probably shouldn't be uh, going on. Well, the, the activity thing is so fundamental and because, you know, it's like everyone starts these fires and they'd rather see the fire burn up the entire forest than truncate it early because we started it. So why not let it run its course? But, you know, I, I think if you don't accept that premise, then a lot of the advice you're going to get from this podcast and Truval and all of our our products and knowledge is going to be is going to be tough for you to consume because you have to you have to connect the narrative that the wor- the worst thing you can do for an organization is spend your energy which is them investing money in you like all of business energy is just labor and capital that's the only currency which drives business activity and if you're going to take labor or you're going to take capital and you're going to throw it in the trash can by just doing activity that doesn't make any sense it's probably one of the most harmful things you can do to the organization besides like purposely hurting the organization with malintent and, and making it about you know you you know the the um the person you know doing the work um and I, you had uh sam you had said last time you know like most of the people listening to the podcast probably are you know finding themselves in you know not uh dictating to do the projects but uh um you know or are in the project um so yeah i don't know victims you, of tyrannical projects <laughs> And so when people ask me uh, advice because they're very stressed or, or, you know, they're having real anxiety at work, it's usually not because they have too much to do. That's usually not the number one thing that's going to that, that's going to push somebody over the edge. It's usually because they feel like they want to contribute. They want to add value. They want to do something good. They want good things to happen. And there's a disconnect there because they can't reconcile the instructions they're getting with what they think makes sense. And that's where real stress and real anxiety comes from. So I would say that um, uh, I think either way, 
you could try and be a good soldier, so to speak. But uh, if, if once you're aware, once you have the, 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 the vision of, of what's going on um, and, and that there's a problem, your, your disconnect is going to become greater and greater. And that's where stress and anxiety are coming from. It's such a good point too. And I think it, it ties back to the, to the point of the practical advice is be honest, be honest with yourself and others, which is if you don't understand the assignment, that's where you waste all your time doing assignments. If you want to talk about people who work 12, 14 hour days, it's because of that. The stress comes from not having a clear understanding of what you're meant to be doing or how it's contributing. You know, you could think about on the fly an example where if I give you a stencil, like a coloring book, and I say color in the shape, you can color it in. If I give you a page that's blank and I say color in, you know, a shape or color it in somehow, I mean, and you start to think, okay, I think I can know how to do that. I, there's no shape on here, but I could either draw the shape or I could just color the whole thing in. That's where you're sitting at your desk and you think you're working on it, but you just don't know what you're supposed to be doing. The instructions are not quite one-to-one -one with the with the context that you're dealing with. And then you just waste so much time and then you're hesitant to go back and get it reviewed. And then, you know, and then it just goes back and forth like that. And then you end up being in the situation Jonathan said, which is you're not being honest with yourself. You don't know if what you're doing is really contributing properly and you don't really know what you're supposed to be doing in the first place, but you proceed anyway, instead of just taking that break and asking for help. I mean, that would resolve a lot of it. And I was, I was, I, you know, that's taking it a step back and that's, that's critical. I was already past like assuming you knew what you were supposed to do. You knew uh, exactly how you knew the expectation, et cetera, but it doesn't make sense to you that you're doing it, you know, like that there's like, there's all this activity that's very clear you should do. And you know exactly what it would take to make your manager happy or whoever, whichever constituency happy with whatever you're doing. Um, but it still doesn't make sense to you. You know, like it's like being in a meeting and like thinking we don't even need to be here. You know, like it's it's it just feels wasteful for you, and it's very hard for someone who wants to contribute to contribute when they when when that dynamic is going on. I I think that there's that this is the the as a of one the um, have uh, resigned in the. In the past year, I mean, there's a lot of reasons uh, um, posited for it, but uh, at the end of the day, I think it's some of this. Some of it is people are seeing all the waste and they are frustrated with it. The, the, it's another reason why people are drawn to startups, you know, in, in in greater numbers because startups haven't had a chance to scale the waste that comes from a lack of transparency that comes from the fiefdoms and the politics and the lack of alignment and competing priorities etc because they're small enough that all of that can you know usually it doesn't reveal itself once an entity gets big it scales all the waste from having those problems and that's and i think people are just tired of it they're definitely tired of it and I just think we're seeing a lot of duress from this sort of top-down command culture that has dominated business and business structures for the last several decades. And that's a lot of what we're talking about combating that, you know, and I, I think it's a good time for it too, because we sort of go in with the premise of, well, why doesn't everyone do these things? Because there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear of retaliation from your manager. There's a lot of fear to speak up, to look weak, to ask questions um, and look like you're being slow to appear like you're not working, like you're not being productive. I mean, a lot of that is what's driving, ironically, it is the stuff that Jonathan's talking about, is driving people out of organizations. But a lot of times it's not because, you know, that tension was set there because, because managers are becoming more open is what I'm trying to say. 
because everyone is dealing with these problems and everyone does it. They don't, a lot of times managers too are not trying to make your life terrible. You know, there's this sort of also this cultural narrative that, oh, middle management and tyrannical bosses. And there are those people out there, but the majority of managers are just somebody else's employee. And they're also trying to do the best they can and trickle down the chain. And, you know, I've, Jonathan and I have worked in large scale organizations all the way from the person on the ground floor, all the way up to the CEO. And they, no one, let me give everyone a secret. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing at the top either. And, and nobody's deliberately making things miserable for people. Everyone always thinks that they're adding value, you know? So like, we don't want to uh, imply in, in any way otherwise. I think some of this, th- these dynamics are, are very, very uh, complex. We also don't want to um, suggest in any way that, you know, there's waste or there's a problem, leave, you know, like leave, leave you know, take yourself out of the situation. In fact, I would say nine times out of 10, when when somebody's thinking along those lines, at least at first, um, I find that the real issue is not uh, with 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 uh, the issue that they're they're speaking to, and that whatever they're trying to leave in one place, they're going to bring with them to another place. And so I I I, I wouldn't recommend as a you know the first step you know uh, just leave. I would say that you know we 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 spoke about awareness. We spoke about trying to be part of the the solution, um, but then there's also the dynamic of working on yourself and seeing like you know being aware also of the dynamic that you're bringing to something. Are you conflict avoidant? You know, is that part of the problem that 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 you you know there's something wrong, but you're you you are, hate the idea of the tension that's going to be caused by you raising questions or you saying there's a problem or something like that, and so you shrink from it and then don't want to be part of the scenario. That's not healthy either. You know, so you know, work on the you know, be an example. Work on the problem. Uh, but also work on yourself and think, you know, what what dynamic am I bringing to this? You know, like I said, with either being uh, conflict avoidant or do I am I not recognizing my boundaries? You know, when when somebody's giving me work, I just say yes, 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 yes. Well, that's not healthy either. And this is in life again in life also. Like if you exert your boundaries and say, okay, it's uh, 9 p.m. on a Friday and you're giving me some major assignment. You know how did it get to this point? It's probably because you just kept taking whatever anybody was giving to you. So th- there's a lot of opportunity, even in the ex- situation you're in, no matter how bad, for you to do good work and and to 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 develop. Yeah, and those basics of boundary settings are are so important, which is kind of the idea that you you're never going to get ahead by violating your own boundaries. And even if you have to get ahead at work by doing that, it's not going to be sustainable. Just pause and think about that for a second. What is your strategy if you think, okay, I'm going to get ahead here by setting a precedent that all of my personal boundaries are just going to be non-existent and violated whenever my manager calls upon them? Like, are you going to cut off your like nose to spite your face? Like, how long do you think you can keep that up? So just always be mindful that you can't, sustainability is a big deal in your, you know, your relationship with work. But one thing that Jonathan said too about kind of the relationship with, with conflict, conflict avoidance, I want to bring attention back to the idea that at the workplace, we need to, we need to start dissociating, asking questions and not just complying like a slave as conflict. Like, think about that for a second, because that's where a lot of people, you could be conflict avoidant, but you really need to go in. Well, let, let me say it this way, because I think this is an important point for this conversation. There was like this big, we, when we talk about the top-down control methods that have been in business for a long time, a lot of it, you think about the slave driver 
mentality, which is like, you have a boss, they crack the whip, you comply. It's like sort of, you're a soldier, you're a slave, you just do what is given to you. And then there's been a revolution, which I actually liked for a while, where people were talking about servant leadership on the leader side, or just like this idea of like a servant attitude, where, you know, you're not a slave, you're not just here to kind of, I say, jump and you say how high, you're really leaders are supposed to serve their employees and people are supposed to always be looking to serve each other. But like, I would even say beyond that, like, don't even think about it as a matter of servitude and what can I do to better serve as much as like, how can you love yourself and love your boss? I'm almost like creating a new term, like love leadership, right? Like, that's what you need to be thinking about. If you love yourself, that's what Jonathan's talking about. He's like setting your own boundaries, taking care of yourself so you can be productive and you can be intelligent and you can contribute properly. But if you really want to learn how to work with your boss, just love your boss. They're like you said, they're not out to get you. They're also an employee somewhere of somebody else. If you want to talk about, okay, well, what do I do? I'm not questioning them and making their life harder. They're obviously stressed and they're giving me instructions and they're moving fast or they're giving out project stuff or they've forgotten why we're doing the project. If you want to make their life better, you got to put yourself in that mindset of, well, how can I actually love what they're doing and and support them and be supportive and be you know, legitimately empathetic and kind of figure out what do they need to be helped right now? Like if they're delegating this to me and I don't understand it, you're being selfish in a way. If you just go and say, I'm just going to check this box and I'm going to do it and I'm going to come back with a bunch of crap and then they'll have to correct it or they'll, they'll fix it later. Like that's not helping them. That propagates the problem. So I guess what I'm saying is we have to be having a more expansive and loving view of the workplace and this whole conflict thing, there should be no reason to think that everything's going to lead to conflict. It should be, how do we support and love each other better? Yeah. And I should, I should have made also clear that when it's the conflict is often in your head, you know, most of the time, you know, like maybe you've had one bad experience where you raise something to your boss or whoever, and it, there was a negative reaction of some sort, but that's, you know, just, the, you know, your mind playing tricks. Most of the time, there is no conflict. Again, it's, 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 it's all in your head. And uh, I always give somebody the advice, if, they, if they're going to have a conversation, put themselves out of their comfort zone, you know, they're going to ask, why are we doing this project or whatever it is, right before you do it, always say to yourself, I'm going to imagine, or you should imagine it going better than you could, could have possibly have imagined. So just, just do that visualization. Imagine it going better than you could have imagined and then step into it because you're, otherwise you're going to bring into it like your, you know, all your, your fear and, and that, that, and that undertone comes, comes into the conversation. So agree with, I you know, totally agree with Sam, obviously um, it's, it's not necessarily that it's, you know, a conflict and, and, but it, but it's in your head. And even if there is conflict, I should say, conflict is good. Conflict is not a bad thing. You know, no, nothing would, if, if the world only had consensus on all things all the time, we wouldn't make much progress. No change occurs in consensus or without conflict. It always had, change requires some tension. Otherwise, that you wouldn't have any growth. So again, I don't see when I, I personally don't think conflict is bad. I just think it's wasteful if there's no point to it, you know, just to be a, a difficult person, but conflict is a good thing. Yeah. And, and it's funny because when you summarize it that way, and this is how I'll summarize it, which is that as long as you're being honest and you're authentically trying to do a good job and add value at work and be productive, nothing is bad. Everything is good. Like if you come in with that mindset, whether you're fighting or you guys are having corporate therapy and you're sobbing in a room and you're saying, I don't understand anything and you don't understand anything. I mean, as long as you're all trying to do the right thing, you have to assume that 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 resonates with people. I don't know why we've gotten into this mode where 
besides following orders blindly and just executing to deadlines and targets that everything else outside of that is conflict and bad and wanting to be avoided, it, it should be the opposite. I mean, all the things that helps you get to an authentic, positive result, you should be looking at that's the good stuff. That's the, the stuff you want to cultivate in yourself and always be challenging in a productive and loving way. You know, what, 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 when it doesn't match up. I have plenty of anecdotes, even from recently, like in the past year where I'll be on client site and somebody will come into my office with a, a request that I think is a bit uh, off kilter, or obviously they're not in the right mind. And, you know, if I ask them questions and they seem to be getting increasingly frustrated with me, I will concede eventually. And I'll say something like, okay, I don't really fully understand this. I will, I will attempt to start it. Um, if you think it will support you, but you know, if you could give me more information or if there's anything I could do to make your life easier, please let me know. And sometimes it's going to be just do what I tell you to do. But if you always come at it and you ask next time, Hey, I didn't really quite understand this the first time. Here's my best attempt. Is there any chance we can sit down and talk it out more? I really want to help you. You know, you can't love someone so much that they hate you for it. You know what I mean? It's like, you, you don't want to be looking out for you. Look out for them. Take care of your manager. Take care of the project. But don't just kind of get in this habit of doing things blindly. And uh, yeah, the conflict is good. I was, I was trying to find this quote, you know, as, as we were speaking just now. Um, but th there's a quote by Will Cather. I'll, ha I'll have to find it. That um, basically, I, I, I believe, boils down to people that are able to see what's going on the most tend to be the 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 most um able to bleed so to speak because they uh you know you you it, for you to come out of yourself and be able to see you know like the dynamics of a project in in, in all its richness and with, with the idea of adding the most value and, and how things could succeed means that you already have a certain mindset um that tends to lend itself to being more conflict avoidant than most i would i would say on some level. So, you know, again, coming back to just the first point that Sam made, that's why the awareness is an achievement of it on its own. And you need to be gentle with yourself as you're trying to express um, the, the, the pathologies on the project that, that you see and, and, and try and uh, reconcile. Uh, because the more good you are to yourself and the more um, uh, it comes across in, in how you're engaged, the more likely you're going to be successful anyway. So it is the most critical thing. Yeah, you are connected. And, and just to piggyback off that, you're connected to this is a personal and professional. You're connected to everything. You have to always be expanding your vision outside of yourself on a project, especially you are not a cog in the wheel. You may have been trained to think that, but it's not the case. You are part of a greater whole that's working to achieve an objective that has to rely on your input and everyone around you collaboratively. You are always part of something greater than yourself. You can never go to your desk and assume that what you're doing is right just because you think it's right and you're doing it. You have to always have the responsibility to be aware. Be aware of how your, your behavior is impacting those around you and the project itself. Now, Sam's hitting a point that, I mean, we could spend, you know, uh, several podcasts about your special purpose or your unique uh, contribution, you know, the chance you have to, to offer unique things uh, uh, to the world. Most people don't get there because most people are living in a world of should. You know, my boss told me I have to do this. I don't ask too many questions. I need to be busy. I need to whatever. Everything is should, 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 should. And in a regime of should, you will never find that that purpose or that unique contribution that you really do have to offer. 
Whereas when you're in concert with yourself and concert with what, with what, uh, with the work, uh, you know, that, that the work you're doing, you believe makes sense and is, is going to add value that that's when you have the opportunity. Um, so I don't know if Sam, if you're okay with uh, taking a little detour on the, on the should, but uh, giving a plug for one of my favorite uh, books, um, Becoming a Conscious Business uh, 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 by Sam. Uh, uh, um, there's, I, I actually think Sam did a brilliant job of, of explaining that should dynamic and, and the, the, uh, the harm it can lead to. Yeah, I, I appreciate the, the plug. So I did write a book. It's called Becoming a Conscious Business. Oh, <laughs> he, had it, he had it queued up. Yeah, so I talk about this a lot. And the whole idea of should is, you know, it's based on the idea that there's a future that you're going to be able to kick the can down the road. And this isn't new to a lot of people. I mean, but the idea is your action should always be based on, on stuff happening now. And that's actually not just sort of this new age container that says you should always be present. It is that, but process-wise, business-wise, personal-wise, decisions that you can act on now, having the data you have now, and not thinking like, I should do this, but I'll do it later, or I'm not going to do it because of what I know now. It's just a lack of courage and like you falling prey to your own patterns. Like the more you can act on what you know now, right now, your life will carve a path to a more successful one um, productivity wise, but also should be f more fulfilling and, and more happy. And that leads me to another point that's not directly related to the book. Um, I can't sit here and say, oh, I think you should read the book. I wrote it. So I obviously think there's a lot of value in it, or at least for, oh. for my own journey. I, I could but, say it. Yeah. <laughs> you should read yeah, it. Jonathan, Jonathan will say you should read it. But you know, the idea is you've got to also not be afraid of repercussions you can't control. So I should stay in my, my, my lane because I might get fired is one that I hear a lot in the field. And I remember in my own personal journey, which I talk about in, in my story and in the book, and you'll get it more in the podcast too as we go, is that there has to come a time in your life where you decide compromising my happiness in the moment is not worth this job. Now, sometimes you might not have the privilege because it could put you on the street or get you evicted. So like, there's a very practical reality to that. So like, if you have you know, a little bit of space where you can kind of be more honest at work and, and also know that getting fired is everyone's worst nightmare, but it's actually, if, you, if your heart's in the right place, people don't get fired on a dime. That actually doesn't really happen. That's sort of a that's sort of a workplace myth. Like if you're trying to do the, do the right thing, it's actually uh, very unlikely that you're just gonna get fired for speaking up or acting out of, out of line a little bit. But yeah, you have I, to sometimes. Go ahead, sorry. I, I would just um, shift the compromising on your happiness just a little bit or say it in a little bit different way. If you're always living, living or acting at work based on should, eventually you're not yourself. You're not, you, you're, if all your activity is based on what you think someone should do, but it's not what you think you should do, but it's based on what you think society is going to accept or your boss is going to accept, et cetera. Even if you're quote unquote successful, like, and you don't get fired or whatever it is that you think you're going to be successful in, you will have greater and greater tension because you can't keep that up because it's not you. Now the, we're getting really deep into like, uh, you know, finding yourself, but just bringing it back to, you know, just uh, where we started you know, we're trying to give just basic advice on, you notice there's a problem, you're going to be that squeaky wheel. And, you know, what's the best way to go about, you know, now that I understand that I need a why on the project, et cetera, you know, we, we gave advice on, you know, work the situation, you know, do it from a positive perspective, um, do it by leading a good example on how you intake work, how you, you know, how you engage in the work that you do, et cetera. 
but if, after that point, it's working on yourself. And that's why we're getting into all these other dynamics and seeing what are you bringing into the uh, situation and being honest about what you want out of the job or what you want out of the activity that you're doing in life. So, so sorry, Sam, I didn't mean to come back and summarize so quickly, but uh, I just wanted to, to explain how we had gone down what seemed like a rabbit hole, but is actually directly on point. Yeah, no need to apologize. It's just, you know, as we get close to the end of this episode, I just think it's funny. And, and for those of you listening, I, the practical advice is always that there's never going to be, you're never going to get anything from us. And this can be frustrating, but it also can be uh, enlightening, I think, in some ways, which is that if you were expecting us to say, okay, here's a checklist template of like, how do you make sure that the why is connected to the project? And here's like the kind of questions you should ask based on like this industry or this sector. That's not this kind of business. You know, the idea that it, in some ways it's simpler to say, be honest with yourself, be self-aware of what you're doing and your productivity levels and your energy and your personal boundaries. Like this almost sounds like we, it could be a self-help shop, but that is the, that is the simplest advice. It's like, you gotta, you gotta have those principles in mind and then figure out how to apply them. You know, there's no cheat to just taking the time to understand what you want in the workplace and making sure you're honest and open and communicating that to the people around you. There's no, there's no cheat to that. And if you're coming from a place of adding value, like you're coming from a good place, your intention is not to further your career or whatever. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing either, but like that, that it's not just for your own interest, that you're looking out for the interests of the project. You're looking out for the interests of your organization. And that's your uh, orientation. A hundred percent of the time, I know that's a big, I'm going to give, I'm going to say this because it won't, may not feel like this, but a hundred percent of the time you're going to attract better energy from other people. And you're going to be shocked about how much better your connections are going to get and how it actually is going to help your career, not hurt it. And that's the, that's the scariest part, I think. And one thing we can only say from our own experience and our own process understanding and like the logic of how the world works, you, you can't be afraid to not do like what Jonathan said, what you should be doing. A lot of the stuff that, that I've written about and contemplated has to do a lot with the idea that you, like, like, he, like he said, what's the point? Even if you make the perfect image of somebody else or you do everything that's expected of you, you can't keep it up. So why even bother trying? But then you might, if you, if you haven't thought about it that way, then you think, well, if I just do everything I wanna do, where am I going to end up? I could end up in a ditch somewhere. Well, if you're doing everything you want to do, then the ditch is where you wanted to go and that's where you'll be <laughs> and you'll be happy. So like to a certain extent, you have to follow the logic of that process, which is that if you're going to optimize your life, your professional outcomes, your project outcomes, the best thing you can do for yourself is be honest in every moment. Because if, I, if I'm honest and I think I should do A when really I want B and I go with B, if I go with B every moment and it's what I wanted, the yeah. path will be constructed and where you end up will always be where you want to be. So it's kind of like, whoa, that's sort of a circular argument, but that's the only argument that matters to you. And nobody wants to be around you if you're not protecting you and there's not the best you you can be. Not that nobody wants to be around you, but I want to be around the best version yeah. of you as your manager, as your colleague, as your project manager. I don't want you to show up and try to be somebody else because that doesn't help the project and it certainly doesn't help you. And that's kind of, I think, we're, we're trying to wrap this up and say, that's the message, right? Be yourself, be honest in the workplace and generally. I think that's a good, uh, as good a note as any to, to end on for this week. <laughs> simple advice for simple business practices by, by John and Sam. Just kidding. But yeah, it's, 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 I agree. I think let's, let's go with that. And then I'm sure we'll have more 
more philosophical meanderings as we go. And please, next week. and give us comments. You know, we yeah. would love to take, uh, you know, to, to cover him uh, in, in the podcast. Yeah, that, that's a good last comment. If you think our, our advice is not actionable or you want more, please let us know. Start interfacing with us. We love, we love the interaction. So send it to us and we'll, we'll be sure to address it. All right, until next week. See ya. See ya.